Welcome to the New Species Podcast. I'm your host, Zoe Albion. On this podcast, we learn about recent discoveries of species that are new to science, but not necessarily new to nature. We ask scientists how they found these new species and why they matter. We learn about what makes a new species and hear some behind the scenes stories along the way. So join us as we explore the biodiversity of our planet and the scientists who help us better understand it. Welcome to the New Species Podcast. I'm your host, Zoe Albion, and I'm here with Wei Harn, PhD candidate at University Brunei Darussalam. He's here today to tell me about his paper published in the 219th issue of Phytokeys, in which he and his co-authors describe a new species of chinkapin trees from Royal Bellum State Park in Peninsular Malaysia. Welcome, Weihan. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Hi, Zoe. Thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here. I have to begin by saying that um, I've been really looking forward to this episode because we're discussing a new species of tree, and we've actually never had a non-animal on the podcast before. So um, I, I'm excited to learn about the process of naming a new species of plant and how it may be different from how an animal gets named. Sure, sure. It's quite similar to how you would name an animal. So I guess in also in general taxonomy, uh, you would have your type species, which is the where the description comes from. And yeah, it's you see a new trait, you see new features that don't belong anywhere, very distinct. And yeah, you can describe it as a new species. So it's the same between animals and plants. Uh, and before we get started, I'm curious to learn a little bit about you. Um, how did you get into the practice of discovering new species of tree? So uh, I've been a research associate with the University of Nottingham for like the past eight years before I started my PhD. So at that time, I was attached to the School of Geography, now rebranded as the School of Environmental Science and Geographical Sciences. Uh, so I've been attached to a project called the Management and Ecology of Asian Elephants. So MEME for short. So in this project, uh, we take a lot of, a lot of different tasks. So we look at um, things like reducing or in a way trying to coexist with elephants in conflict areas in Malaysia. We also look at the ecology of Asian elephants in relation to the tropical rainforest of Southeast Asia. When it comes, I think I don't really think I would be. My job scope was to look for new species specifically. It was really by chance and luck that we came across this new species that we described recently during this uh during our many projects in the field. So for myself, I'm my background was in plant genetics, but then my job scope took me to ecological work. So it involved a lot of plant interaction with animals specifically Asian elephants. So we were looking at seed dispersal with many different forest plants. Uh, we were looking at herbivory. So now, recently, I decided to start my PhD specifically on this family with Dr. Yori at the uh, University of Brunei Darussalam. Um, and so this family is the Fagaceae, the beech trees, um, and your new species is in the chinkapin group, like we said. So what are beech trees and how do the trees in your genus 
Castanopsis relate to the other beaches? So for the Fagesi family, it's, I think for a lot of people in the Northern Hemisphere, they're very familiar with it. So you would see things like oak chestnuts or beech. These are all in the same family. Uh, so the biggest characteristic that one can tell that it belongs to a Fagesi or the beech family is, of course, the acorns. It's the trademark characteristics everyone would have. One, at least one impression of it. You will see a nut and you will see a little hat top. So this is the biggest giveaway of any Fugazi species. So I believe there's at least eight different genera in this family. And usually you can quite, yeah, based on the distinctions, uh, you can tell that it's a Fugazi, mainly from the acorn. Uh, you can see they have very simple leaves that are in alternate arrangements. So the leaves will come one after another. And they have unisexual flowers in the form of catkins. So like little brushes at the terminal end of the leaves. So yeah, these are the three main characteristics that one can easily tell. It's a fagesi. So for Casanopsis, it's an interesting species. Casanopsis and Lithocarpus are strictly restricted to Southeast Asia. And it holds half the diversity of the family of Fagesi. Both of these genuses combined. So that would equal about 400 over species around there, probably more nowadays. So Castanopsis is very similar to what you would see in a uh, chestnut that most people have at least some impression of. So some of them have these very spiny fruits that one would think of. In some of them have, I think, similar to what you see in a beach fruit, little uh, small caps. With a nut inside. Yeah, that's easily how you could distinguish a castanopsis in Southeast Asia. So for chicken pin, uh, interestingly, uh, there is usually at first it was only castanopsis. So their genus was also described, I think, in North America. But after some phylogenetic analysis, they realized there was a distinct lineage between the North American species and those in Southeast Asia. So the ones in North America has been renamed to Chrysolepis. So it's a very small genus, I believe. There's only two species. So these two are restricted to North America. While Castanopsis is uh, what you would see now in Southeast Asia. That's very useful to divide them in the two groups like that. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So as you say, they're found all over the world, but... You and your team found this new species in Royal Bellum State Park, which is a, a really unique and hugely critical natural area in the western part of Malaysia. So that's often referred to as uh, Peninsular Malaysia for folks who are not familiar. And it's, it's shortlisted as a UNESCO World Heritage Site, meaning it's selected as an area of particular scientific significance. So, so please tell us, what is this area and, and why did you choose to collect here? So Royal Bloom is a very magnificent landscape, I would say, in terms of the tropical rainforest. It is probably one of the very few areas in Southeast Asia that contains unlocked, pristine rainforest. Uh, it also still has many of Southeast Asia's uh, wildlife. This includes Asian elephants, Malayan tiger, uh, leopards, samba deers. And also probably one of the best places to go birding because you get to see a lot of hornbills, raptors, 
uh, different colorful birds. Uh, yeah, so Tulum has a very turbulent history. It is one of the last areas where we had the communist uprising in for Malaysia before independence. So this was the, one of the last areas where there was still conflict. It's scientifically, we've only started to peel away at forests recently in the last few decades. And it's a treasure trove because you have a mix of Thai flora and Malaysian flora. Because how close it is to each other, the, uh, yeah, the border proximity with Thailand. It's a very beautiful forest. Uh, it also has a man-made lake called Tamongo Lake, which has flooded most of the lowland forests in Belum. But it creates a very unique landscape, not seen anywhere else. So yes, it is shortlisted for the UNESCO World Heritage Site because of its biodiversity richness, its history, its uh, cultural relations with the indigenous population. So there are two tribes called the Tamiya and Jahai that have their ancestral lands within this forest. And they're still very well connected to their traditions that's bound by the forest. Yes, it's a very beautiful landscape and it's open to tourists. So if you do want to visit, it's a magnificent place that I would strongly suggest. Is it unusual to find a new species of tree? Does this happen a lot? Describing new trees is, I would say, relatively rare in Malaysia. Finding new species of plants is not uncommon. So you have a lot of new orchids, new gingers being described. A lot of new monocots, I would say been described on a regular basis, but for a tree, it's quite rare and quite surprising given that Malaysia, Peninsula Malaysia is one of the better studied parts in this region. I mean, yeah, in Thailand and Vietnam, we are finding a lot of new trees, especially for Gacy also. So I believe there's a lot of work that can be done in this region. Who knows, you might find something in the coming years also. <laughs> you never know, it's really based on luck. What you see is what you get, to be honest. <laughs> oh man, yeah, the world of trees is so fascinating. Um, and when you came across this tree, how how did you find it? Um, so I guess what I'm imagining is, does it live in stands? Um, does it require a lot of sun? So there's like a big uh, space around the crown. How does it behave, if you don't mind me anthropomorphizing a little bit? So we came across it really by luck. So we were doing this project called uh, Monitoring the Philology of the Rainforest. Because in Southeast Asia, uh, we don't fruit like what you see in most Northern Hemisphere places. So it's not an annual fruiting. We fruit on a 2 to 10 year time scale interval, which is very random. It can happen anytime. So we were trying to figure out, uh, so we will visit every month to note down whether it's flowering, it's fruiting, so we could at least get a pattern of how these seasonal things happen. So we were doing this transact maybe about a kilometer long, and we came across this, this species, Castanosis. At that time, we didn't know what it was, because we had so many fruits that we have collected. This was just one of them on the way. At that time, it was unique, but I would always assume it was another species called Castanosis enormis. So I wasn't very familiar. I was still learning how to identify Pagesi back then. So the tree has a habit. Um, let me see. So in a rainforest in Malaysia, it's very dense. So it's not very spread out. 
you have trees that are large and very close to each other, maybe just a few meters apart. And you have very dense understory covered with gingers, palms. So the tree is, I would say, a sub-canopy tree. So in our rainforest, we have many layers. We have the emergence, the, uh, which is the very tall trees that you would see from the sky when you fly over. Then you have understory trees, which are much smaller. So they would still persist, but usually under these large canopy trees. So for Fergaceys, they're generally sort of in between understory trees and emergent trees. Because they can grow up to maybe 20 meters tall, I've seen the tallest. But usually most of them would be dwarfed by other species in the rainforest. So yeah, and generally they don't exist in stands. So in Malaysia, the diversity is so great, you might have a variety of species surrounding one another. So you might find one tree, but you have to really look for other, other individuals in the forest. I imagine there's so much diversity, not only of, of plant life, but also of animal life in like one hectare, for example. Yeah, definitely. An animal could be in front of you, maybe 100 meters. And you won't be able to tell because it's just so dense. And okay, this is this is a question I've been particularly interested in. How does one collect a new species of tree? You would try to get as many characteristics as possible. So what we would do is we would try to get a branch with leaves on it. So in this branch, you would get the leaf arrangements, the twig morphology, leaf morphology. If we're lucky, we might find one with maybe a flower attached or fruit attached. But usually this is very difficult because these trees are so tall. So I think this one particularly was about 12 meters. Oh, wow. 12 meters, 14 meters high. We brought a 9 meter pole, but that was too short. So <laughs> in the end, we had, we had indigenous field guides with us. And they were excellent tree climbers. So in the end, they gave up with the 9 meter pole and they just climbed the tree and plucked it. That's amazing. Yeah, so you need things like fruits and flowers. So to describe any species, you will need at least either the flower or the fruit to distinguish, depending on how what is required by the family. So the biggest giveaway for Fergese is the fruits. The fruits are very distinct from one another. So usually a combination of fruits and leaves and twigs is usually enough to describe the species. Some maybe like orchids, you would need the plant itself with the leaves and the flower to describe it. So it's really family dependent on the situation. And when you're describing the plant, you're saying that you have the seed. And this one you described it briefly, it has like a, a really noticeable shape. So this species has a very distinct shape. Uh, it has rows of little blunt spines that look like corals. So that's where it got its name from, Corallocarpus, meaning coral fruit. So not many species within this genus have such distinct thick rows of these coral-like protrusions. Most would have either little bumps, rows of bumps. So that's why I was confused with another closely related species initially. But after looking at it more carefully during the pandemic, we realized that it doesn't match any current description. And yeah, we looked at a lot of 
other specimens around Southeast Asia from Thailand to Borneo to see if that has been previously described before. So when we found out it wasn't, we were quite excited to to write it up. And your paper includes some really some great pictures um, of the fruit and of the other parts of the tree. And then also your co-author, Lisa Ong, provided some absolutely beautiful drawings. Um, and they include all of the parts of the tree and then both the, the mature nuts and, and the fruits. Um, and I, I just really enjoyed those as well. Uh, we are quite fortunate that Lisa is a very good illustrator. But she has a background in arts, which is fantastic. Her drawing is beautiful. We're very fortunate about that. So uh, traditionally, uh, when you describe a species for plants, before this, we didn't have photographs and stuff like that. So doing an illustration is the next best thing that you will be able to visualize a species. So right now, uh, despite having photographs nowadays, a botanical illustration still gives a very good impression on certain things that photos can't pick up. So you would, let's say, if you like to uh, signify certain parts of the plant, like for example, in this case, we had the spines drew close up. We had details of the fruits also. Uh, the leaves, sometimes you might want to illustrate pubescence. So things like uh, little hairs that you might not be able to see on photo. So these things are very helpful when it comes to visualization and it still complements modern photography. And it's also really nice to look at when it comes to botanical illustrations because you need some talent to do it. And in your paper, you share that you only found two individuals. And then you think there are a few additional trees that you might go back and examine further in the future. Obviously, we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but um, do you think that this scarcity might suggest anything to you about the tree's natural history, its conservation status? Doing our study, we have confirmed at least two locations. Uh, we also came across it several times in the past, but we've never really recorded down the location. But it's also in Royal Belomen. We roughly know where the area is. I would say right now it's... Uh, not really a cause for concern because we just don't know much about the species and we didn't actively search for it as thoroughly as one should because rainforest is too dense. It's really difficult to transverse and it's logistically very difficult to cover such a large area. Uh, it's also difficult to find them if they're not fruiting because the trees are very tall and you probably need leaves and leaves, if you're not familiar, could look the same as any other trees. Right now, it would be nice to spend time searching for this species specifically, but at the moment, I don't think it's any cause of concern. Yeah, if you're in a rainforest, you'll probably understand how difficult it is to at least find one target species among the hundreds. <laughs> and that's why we need folks like you to uh, better understand what is actually there. Because it's a very diverse family. I think in Malaysia itself, for the family that's at least 60 plus, no, more than 60, I think 60, 80, I can't remember the numbers now, 60, 80 different species of Fagesi, just in Malay Peninsula. So yeah, it's a huge number, it's a big family. And you said that you named the species after uh, the coral, that it sort of resembles in that fruit. I wouldn't say it's a story, it wasn't very creative, because we were just <laughs> thinking of names. So I wanted the species to have a name that reflects how it looks like. So that's why I chose Corallo Carpus, because it just means coral fruit. 
Because that's the biggest distinction. So yeah, it was a very simple naming process, to be honest. It wasn't anything glamorous. But that that's very useful. Um, I remember when I was a dendrology student, it was uh, always much more difficult to remember the specific epithets of species that really you couldn't create like a mnemonic device for. And so, I mean, I think this is a great example of a name that serves a, a purpose in the identification. Yeah, hopefully it helps a lot of people. Just just by the name itself, you'll be able to think, okay, coral prune. You take pity on those poor students and naturalists. I hope so. <laughs> um, and of course, there are lots of people who care about trees, but uh, why do you think that people should care that you've found a new species of beech tree? So why does your species matter? I think as a whole... Finding one species maybe isn't very significant in Southeast Asia, but I would hope it would bring a better understanding that this place still, even though it's facing such huge developments, that there's still new things to find in this region, that work, still a lot of new work needs to be done that we know so little of. Because this landscape is challenging and it's been understudied compared to different parts of the world like the Amazon, the South America. It's been very well documented, but Southeast Asia is has always been lagging behind. So yeah, I hope that that's my bigger hope that this species would, in a way, gain more interest in Southeast Asia. That there are new things to find, not only Malaysia, like places like Indonesia, Philippines, Thailand. There's still a lot of new things to see. Yeah, I'm certainly looking forward to learning a little bit more about Belum Park, about Malaysian fauna and flora in general. Right, Belum Park is a state park that's fully protected by the Malaysian law. So under no circumstances, you can do any logging, conversion to agriculture or development. So it's strictly just uh, strictly protected. So Royal Bloom is at the northern part of Peninsula Malaysia. It borders Thailand. So it, together with uh, some smaller forest reserves like uh, the southern part, which is the Mungo Forest Reserve, and I think there's also Ahmad Jaya and Banding Forest Reserve, they will form a larger forest complex called the Belum Temungo Forest Complex, which is by far one of the largest continuous forest uh, areas in Peninsula Malaysia. Oh, wow. And together with that forest complex, combining with the Thai part, uh, I think it was Halabala and Bangla Forest Reserves, Thailand, so it will form a transboundary forest connectivity. And a lot of animals cross this border on a regular basis. Things like Asian elephants, tigers would use this forest as their home. It's, it's a very nice forest because it still has a lot of untouched fauna, untouched forests also. So it's a good place to study tropical forest ecology in Southeast Asia because of how pristine it is. It sounds amazing, and thank you so much for coming on the podcast and telling us about the forest and about your new species of tree. No worries. Thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure. Wei Harn's paper, Castanopsis corallocorpus, a new species from Royal Belum in Peninsular Malaysia, is in the 219th issue of Phytokeys. See the episode details for an open access link to the paper, and to learn more about Wei and his work, you can go to www.asianfigacy.com. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the New Species Podcast. This podcast was created by Brian Patrick and is edited and produced by Zoe Albion. If you would like to support us, please consider subscribing to our Patreon at patreon.com slash newspeciespodcast. And if you'd like to get in touch with questions or feedback, please email us at newspeciespodcast at gmail.com. I've been working for, I think, almost 10 years in conservation. My original degree is in ecology, so... um... Hmm? Your paper was bringing back all sorts of memories for me, you know, DBH and like <laughs> tree assessments. Um, although, of all course, things. I haven't done it in years. <laughs> yeah, my degree was in plant genetics. Mm. So I had no background in plant taxonomy. It was only when I was working, I did it as a hobby. Okay. It's a very strange hobby. No one picks it up as a hobby. <laughs> <laughs> but you did. Yeah, I did. Out of all things, I chose to do it as a part-time hobby. <laughs> in the forest, you have no line. So there's nothing to do. Maybe that's the best kind of hobby. Just lock everything out. Block it all out. <laughs>